Our scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of their father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city were, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, look, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness." While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, KSPC. Hello, it's good to see you all out here. Uh, can you say to the people next to you, let's worship. Awesome, it's good to see you. Let's pray. Father, we come here to worship. We recognize your goodness, your supremacy, and our knees tremble at the thought of meeting you again. Father, help us remember when we first fell in love with you. Or if our imagination lacks, Help us remember when we fell in love with our spouses or the people around us and multiply that by a billion fold as to remember how we should be approaching you today, the most excited, the most prepared to hear your word and to know you and to get to understand your, uh, your characteristics and your goodness. Father, as the word is proclaimed today, Holy Spirit, please work in the hearts of these people, these beloved children, and teach them not how to pray, but that they must pray. As we go over the weapons of the church series, Father, help them understand that each and every weapon provided by the Holy Spirit is made available to us, not as an accessory, but as something that is vital and crucial to everyday life. And so when your church is equipped with prayer, and when we overflow with prayer, May all the things that the church is designed and empowered to do happen in our midst, that we would see baptisms, that we would see people converted to the name of Jesus Christ, that we would see the structures around us that are built up by Satan fall around us so that the name of Christ would be honored and exalted above all things. All these things possible only through prayer. So, Father, equip us to be people of prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When uh, did it come to the point that when we say, my thoughts and prayers are with you, that that became a joke? My thoughts and prayers are with you. When we say that, it becomes a meme, something that we say to paraphrase, that's too bad. I'll just think about you for a while. For the Christian, prayer is 
how we accomplish and how we recognize the greatest powers that are made available for us. And so for the Christian, prayer is the first and foremost method of engaging with a broken world. And yet we have lost that. And the weapons of the church series, especially today about prayer, is made to recover the power of the weapon of prayer in our lives. Now, a lot of times people preach about sermons titled, you know, five ways to, you know, pray more effectively, or ten ways, how to pray in a way that causes God to move. Today's sermon is not how to teach you how to cause things to happen. <clears throat> Rather, the five points of today will be how to pray, uh, why you pray as a response to something. Oftentimes, our prayer is a response to our perception of a transcendent reality. Do you get that? This is the key to understand all of the all of five points today in today's sermon, is that God um, and his reality and our response to it is what results in prayer. Prayer is a response. It's not just something that causes things. So what realities does our prayer reflect? What truth are we reflecting through prayer? We'll see that in Acts 4, 23 to 31. But specifically, let's look at the side to see all five points that we have to understand to be a people of prayer. Number one, prayer only happens when God's sovereignty is greater than your fear and danger. Number two, prayer only happens when God's community is greater than your loneliness. Prayer happens, number three, only when God's promises are greater than your chaos and your randomness in your life. Uh, prayer only happens, number four, when God's mission is greater than your purposelessness. And prayer only happens, number five, when Jesus' name is greater than your name. Amen? All five points. We'll try to demonstrate that. I'll try to go through it quickly so that we can retain all five points. So number one, verse 23 says this, Sovereign Lord, on their release, the first thing that they do is gather and they pray. What's happening here on their release? You know what? What just happened was that Peter and John preached the word of God, and they, were, uh, and they did many miracles. And so they got arrested as a result uh, by the same authorities that just killed finishing, uh, that just fi uh, finished killing Jesus Christ. So what happened was that they saw their Lord and Savior, their rabbi, their teacher, getting crucified, and those same authorities are saying, if you preach in that name one more time, we will do whatever needs to be done. And so these people who have just seen their Lord and Savior crucified ought to be filled with fear. Fear. And today's text is right after what happened there. And so it's a direct response to the fear that they feel in front, uh, in front of the threats of the Sanhedrin. And the response is prayer. And you notice that the first thing that Peter and John say in response to the fear that they have of being killed is sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And so they are overcoming the fear that they have with the trust in God's sovereignty that they have, the creator God of Scripture. In case PC, the first point of today is that prayer is born when there is tension between actual danger towards you and your trust in God's sovereignty. And if you miss any one of these two elements, then prayer doesn't happen. So, for example, there's two problems uh, that prevent us from praying. Number one, you are unaware of the reality of danger. You are unaware that our life is framed as a spiritual warfare already won by Christ, 
But continuing where Satan has influence and God has a greater influence and we as human agents are stuck in the middle without any third-party authority. We have no power. And so when you see the world as a conflict between God and until God's kingdom comes, the existence and the work of Satan in our lives, that causes what? A sense of danger. And this is not bad. I mean, you know, for example, if I was walking through uh, a park, like let's say Central Park in New York, and the wind's blowing, it's so peaceful, I just walk and I see, you know, um, you know, rocks, you know, fall there, and I see water trickling there, and that's all good, right? It's all good. But that's how a lot of people walk through their lives. They think it as a walk, a stroll through a park. But let's say you are in Vietnam, and you are a, a, a soldier trained to look out for snipers. And so as you're entering into a sniper-infested area, and you see a park, right? And as you walk through there, the, the rustling of the leaves become a danger sign. Oh, what's happening there? And you become what? Alert. Alert leading to prayer. And so as you walk through life, those who have a sense of the supernatural reality that there is warfare going around, around, around us for the souls of mankind, the first response is what? Prayer. So many of us do not know that that danger is there. We are in Nova. We think that the world is compatible with our doctrines and confessions of faith. I'll repeat that. We think the world is compatible with all that we learn in church. So somehow, we think that humanism is compatible to a God-centered universe. Like, it's one or the other. Either we're more important than God, or God is more important than us. Somehow, we think that postmodern relativism is an actual substitute for biblical ethics, because we don't see the warfare and the conflict between these two huge worldviews. That's why we don't pray. It's because you don't see the danger of your every step. When I monitor my heart every single day, one second I don't concentrate, I make a mistake. And I might either berate my kids too much, or I am feeling uh, tired beyond what I should be tired of. I am feeling too busy beyond what I should feel busy about. And one second that I slip and I'm unaware that Satan is like a sniper aiming at my heart from somewhere, then I don't pray. And a lot of us have lost that sense of being in the battlefield. That's why you are to be equipped with the weapons of the church, because it is a warfare. How many of you have made peace with the world? And that's why prayer is not urgent. This sense of danger is necessary for a healthy spiritual life. Um, in Busan, South Korea, uh, that city to Seoul takes about six or seven hours uh, through a um, uh, when you're driving, and it's a very good day of traffic when you're driving at six, six hours. And uh, there was a truck that caught fish at the port of Busan, and they transferred it up to eat as uh, sashimi and, and sushi uh, over at Seoul. And they were finding that six hours, seven hours of the fish not moving and being lethargic was reducing the quality of the meat. And so they were uh, becoming uh, you know, lazy, they weren't moving around. And so what did they do? What did they do to ensure that they would get from Busan to Seoul fresh? They introduced their most natural predator into that water. And they kept them in the same tank. And so they were swimming around over and over and over until they reached Seoul. And that's kind of the same idea that we have to have in this world. And it sounds really tiring. But when you understand that God's sovereignty is covering all of this, 
then you can swim and you can be uh, active and you can be uh, aware of your circumstances and yet still have peace when you know that there is danger to your life and to your soul. That's what causes us to pray to a sovereign God, a sovereign God. And this is where our hope lies, is that no matter how real the dangers are, God is still in charge, and everything that I encounter is filtered through his powerful hands to greet us, to train us. Because we perceive no danger, we also don't need God's providence. Uh, if you are in Nova, I'm going to make a presumption about you. You know how to handle and solve problems. What do you do when you have a headache? Aspirin, right? What do you do uh, when your arm's on fire? You put it in water. What do you do when you're about to go bankrupt? You look at different portfolio strategies. What do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And solving issues has become such a, sec uh, like a, a second nature to us that the moment we see a problem, we do not drop down on our knees to pray. We solve it. And because life is so easy and because there's no spiritual warfare and because Satan, you, you don't think that Satan might be aiming at you through that one problem, you solve it with your own powers and you never need the resources of God. And so the balance between danger and God's sovereignty is what causes Peter and, and the people gathered here to pray out loud saying, we know the threat is real. They killed our Lord and yet we trust you because you are the creator of the universe. Is there that tension in your life that causes you to pray? Once again, I'm not teaching you how to pray. I'm telling you what supernatural and metaphysical circumstances cause you to pray. Prayer is a reflection that you understand that God is sovereign over a very real danger in our lives. Amen? Very heavy start. <laughs> but God is sovereign. Imagine today that you heard that you were forbidden to preach. Imagine I heard that, that I was forbidden to preach in, uh, in, in, in Centerville and, and teach in the name of Jesus. And there are practical penalties that would follow if I continued preaching in the name, that they would kill me. What would we do as a systematically organized megachurch? Like, I know the senior pastor would be different, but in my case, because my faith is small, I'd probably gather the top legal uh, scholars to research constitutional law, I'd probably gather all of our session and brainstorm. I'd probably talk with all of our uh, politicians in our church and ask them to uh, lobby on our behalf. But here's the thing. I don't know if I would pray first. Here's the thing that happened. As soon as they were threatened in this passage, they go home and they find their friends, and the first thing that they do is they pray. They don't say, hey, let's brainstorm about this. Hey, let's have a, 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 a marketing strategy team to talk about how to spread Christ in a, in a persecution uh, era. They gather and they pray and they lift it up to a God who is almighty. Dear KSPT, when we are unaware of the reality of spiritual or mental or philosophical warfare in our heart between God's kingdom and the world, we don't pray. And when we don't need God's power because we're so good at solving issues, we don't pray. However, when you know that Satan prowls like a roaring lion and yet the, the, the lion of Judah has conquered him, you discover that what you most desperately need is not, doesn't come from here, doesn't come from your actions like here and here, it comes from here. 
what you most desperately need, doesn't come from all your human facilities. It comes from above. That's why we need to pray. Please don't force yourself to pray. Understand actual reality. What is life? Like, some see it as a progression of evolution. Some see it as social progress. Some see it as a narrative of justice. I'm telling you, history is a progression of God's sovereignty coming into the world through the name of Jesus Christ. And in that kind of uh, setting, there is conflict beyond your wildest imagination. And we need prayer. So, number one, understand your reality. That will cause you to pray. Number two, The second reality that causes you to pray is when you understand that God's community is more important and overrides your own loneliness. Verse 24 and 25, it says this, Then they went to their friends, and you see all these repetitions of plural uh, pronouns. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together. I mean, if they are together, then uh, you don't have to add the word together. It's uh, superfluous. It's redundant. But why would they add that word? It's an emphasis. They gather to pray together. And what this is saying is that prayer is a response of people who know that they have a community who has each other's back. The word here, uh, friend, in Greek, uh, is translated as, uh, is hoi idoi. And basically it means their own people. Like basically it's saying, I belong to you, you belong to me. Their own. Their own is the best translation. And this is exactly what so many young adults are looking for right now. Their own people who can have their backs no matter what. There was a a story in Boston, I forgot, or was it Francis Chen, uh, where there was a, uh, a gangster, a former gangster, and he had just escaped the gangster life, and he came to church, and he went to small group. And he participated in service. And he left the church the next week saying this. You know what? My gang, I trust them more than I trust the church. Like they have my back. They would fight for me. They would die for me. The church seems uh, conditional. Like I give this much to you. You give this, this much to me. I pray for you this much. You pray that much for me. In other words, he found his people outside the church Because the church didn't seem to have that unconditional neighborliness that leads to joint prayer. How many of you here have your own? Oh man, this is so sad. (laughs) How many of you have your own people? Your own people. What does that mean? United by faith, one Lord, one baptism. Okay. All of you are one people. Amen. All of you belong to each other. Okay, can you look at each other and say, hoi doi? <laughs> Sounds like, hey, idiot. But <laughs> okay, you belong to each other. You belong to each other, but are you treating each other that way? I, I know no one is, you know, uh, I guess, open enough to ask for this, but when was the last time that you, you know, asked money from your brother or asked to borrow money from a sister? When was the last time that you asked someone to physically take part in, uh, in their lives, like helping out with their children or, you know, living together? Like, we have the title and, and, and the, the name value of being one family, but we don't live like one family. And so a gang looks more attractive than the church sometimes by the quality of the love that we have for each other. Or we don't. 
The next word here is the word together. The word together is uh, homo thymaidin. Basically, it means uh, one accord, in one accord. Basically, in with one mind and one intention and one heart, they are united so much that they think the same. So when was the last time that you had one mind with a certain group of people within the church? One intention, one heart, one desire with someone. When was the last time that you hurt together with someone? That you bled with someone and cried together and celebrated together? But seriously, when was the last time you cried with someone because they were hurting? No wonder our hearts are so calloused and no one feels fed by the church. Because there is a conditional, I'll go this far, you go this far mentality. Christ came to us when we had no interest in him. Christ died for us when we were not neutral, but we were his enemies. And how could someone who knows the price that Jesus paid to come near to us ignore one another in the same blood? Like we are thicker than blood together. The reason I'm cramming you into soons right now, join a soon, join a small group, the reason for that is for you to practice, sorry, a gangster-like mentality. If you die, I die with you. Like, if you go forward, I go forward with you. If you stop, I stop with you. What I love being about, about being a pastor is that every church I go to, I find my own people. Like, we just finished DT, and uh, we promise to meet every month until wh- whatever happens to us. And so we promise, pledge to be with one another. Our soon leaders we were with each other so long and they've heard me talk so much that they know what I'm thinking. They see my eyes and they know what I'm thinking. And we become one unit together like this. And I'm asking you, are you investing enough to actually have your own people? Practical application would be, you know, practice hospitality, practice, you know, um, welcoming each other. But here's the a, here's a reality. Only when you know that you actually have such a community, you pray together. You pray together. With one mind, one thought, one accord. These people were praying. I see how much Peter and John were suffering through this uh, imprisonment. Lord, strengthen them. Lord, empower them. And they were crying out as if they were hurting with them. May KCPC be like that. Amen? May KCPC be like that. You see, when a group of broken sinners are saved by a Trinitarian, a relational God, three persons in one, one essence. When we are saved by that kind of loving God, what happens between us is we self-sacrificially approach one another and we merge our minds and we merge our hearts and we pray for one another as if we're praying for ourselves. That's what happens when sinners are saved by a relational God. I know so many of you are thirsty for deep relationships. You have been burned by shallow relationships and backstabbing. You have been burned by conditional relationships that depend on a contract or upon your merit or upon how attractive you are. Get out of those relationships and get into a relationship bound by Jesus' blood. Amen. I pray you would find that. Like, how else are you going to experience Jesus' love if you don't have a brother or sister loving you? 
And how else will you practice that kind of love unless you have someone to exercise it upon? Christianity is relational first and foremost. And prayer cements that. Prayer is just a reflection of that reality. Joint corporate prayer that's united mind and heart that reflects that we are one body. May prayer fill every corner of our church. Amen? Every corner of our church by people who are united and call each other, I belong to you. You belong to me. Number three. Side note, join us soon, please, okay? Join us soon. Amen, please. 30 minutes will not change your life. Me talking up here, 30 minutes will not change your life. Join us soon. Okay, number three. Prayer happens when God's promises override your chaos. They are greater than your chaos. Verses 24 to 26. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through David. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Why are there quotation marks around this? Because they are reciting from Scripture. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. So these people are remembering Scripture as they pray and they have a structured way of praying. It's through Scripture. So... They, because scripture is reinforcing their mind and not their emotions and not their circumstances, they aren't praying, oh Lord, hide us from those scary people. Oh Lord, give us a place of shelter. They're saying, wait, this was promised. You said we would suffer and you said there would be victory. Therefore, give us confidence, give us boldness. This is what happens when you structure your life around the promises of God rather than the randomness of your life. Amen? The promises of God rather than the randomness of God. Prayer only happens when you refuse to see history as a random process or a random development, but as the fulfillment of God's plans outlined in Scripture. When you see Scripture and you know Scripture and you trust Scripture, prayer becomes rich. Prayer becomes hopeful and powerful because it's no longer randomness. It's no longer chaos. It's no longer your emotions. I mean, how many of us pray emotion-based prayers? I feel so lonely today, Father. Please, you know, help me, help me find a person. Help me find a, a person I can marry. And the best verse that you can use there uh, would be something along the lines of, you know, Lord, uh, I know that I am your bride. I'm married to you. I know that you have given yourself to me. Your son, you gave to me so that I would be adopted. How could I be lonely based on the systematic promises of Scripture? So that's why we read, read biblical literature. Like, that's why we read Scripture itself because it informs and transforms your mind which transforms your prayers. So whenever you pray, whenever you share, a lot of you start by saying this, I feel like, I think... Uh, I, like, this is what I feel like. And all of you start from yourself. That's called, that's called subjective epistemology. You start from yourself as a foundation of truth. Why do you need scripture? You need to be reinforced by promises. I asked this to you a long time ago. Uh, how do you feel about your relationship with God? Like, what's your relationship with God right now? And many people answer by saying, uh, I feel like we're kind of far away because I didn't do enough QT. And then I ask them, where in Scripture does it say that if you don't read Scripture enough, God will be far away from you? 
God's promises rather than my feelings. That determines how close I am. What did God do to save you? He gave you his son. And if you believe in him, you are sealed with him. He lives in you. He's not far away. And why do you use your emotions to grasp at things around you, the realities that can't be discerned by your fallen eyes? Bible, Scripture, God's promises are more important than your feelings. Amen? And that's how you pray. On Scripture. Like by Tim Keller's book, Praying Through Psalms. Basically, he turns all the psalms into a prayer that applies to your life right now. And that he trains you to pray up here. Like when you become a deacon or an elder, and we ask you to pray for the congregation, I am so worried about the quality of your prayer if you don't read Scripture. Suddenly you're like, Lord, like, you know, uh, like COVID is so important. Like, please help, you know, the, the administration overcome COVID. And then you talk about world events. You talk about emotions. You talk about, you know, circumstances. And you don't, don't talk about the promises of God, which are more important. Amen? That's how you pray. When you see that God's promises are greater than the chaos, emotions, the randomness of my life. And the reason why you aren't praying is because your emotions and chaos and your circumstances define what you pray. A lot of people pray to the wrong God. <laughs> uh, some pray to the prosperity gospel God. Uh, I, I name it, I claim it, God therefore give it to me. Or some play, pray to a legalistic vending machine God. I insert this much prayer, this much time, this much service, and I turn the wheel and I get you know, M&Ms, whatever, spiritual M&Ms. And we pray to the wrong God because once again, what? We aren't informed by scripture of the attributes of God. You're praying to a holy, just, sovereign creator God who created all the universe and has given you a covenant structure for you to approach him, but for him to approach you. And if you believe in Jesus, those coins or those name and acclaim prayers make no sense because you are believing in the wrong God. I promise you, when Jesus comes back, more than half of the population of the world will believe in him. They will believe in Jesus, but they'll believe in the wrong Jesus. They'll believe in a different Jesus. They'll believe in a nice, you know, Jesus who pats the heads of children and, you know, only talks about love. Or they'll, talk, they'll believe in a Jesus who only rains down hellfire. Get your identity of God from Scripture. That's how you know how to pray to him. Like, Scripture tells you how to pray. It tells you who you're praying to. Therefore, read Scripture. The promises of God are more important than what we feel about God. Our prayer life runs dry when we don't know which God we're praying to. When our prayer doesn't have a biblical backbone, you rely upon random thoughts and emotions to pray, and this turns biblical prayer into wishful meditation. Wishful meditation. You're not wishing something into existence. You're praying to an almighty God who hears and listens because you are his child. Amen? One more time, amen? Number four, God's mission, when that's greater than my purposelessness or my purposes, that's what causes you to pray. When you are aware that God's mission is more important than your purposelessness, then you pray. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. 
Note that what they are not saying, they aren't praying saying this, God, change the circumstances. Uh, make their threats null. Like, cancel their plans. They aren't saying that. They're saying, you know, listen to them and give us more boldness. They aren't saying, give us somewhere to run away. Like, you know, send us on a quick retreat to, you know, uh, Bora Bora or, you know, Hawaii, whatever. They aren't praying that. They aren't saying, give us a way to escape. They're saying that no matter what, no matter what the circumstances, God's mission and his kingdom purposes must continue. And so they pray because they understand that God's mission is more important than the difficulties I am going through, the kingdom that I am trying to establish. When you understand the futile purposelessness of any other mission than God's mission, which is to make Christ known to all people until he comes, until God's kingdom comes, then we can't pray. Prayer is a response when we recognize that God's kingdom's purposes are greater than my own. But so many of us, we miss out on biblical, powerful prayer. Why? Because your kingdom is often more important than God. We fast when we need it. We pray when we want a job. We cry out when we're looking for uh, someone to marry. But when you're building your own kingdom, and God's kingdom is smaller than that, there's no reason to pray like that. Now, there's a reverse psychology to this. This is a very deep psychology to this. And let me tell you now, this is something that I really want you to know and own this. Okay, please listen carefully. The greatest lie that Satan has propagated in the world is this, that if you devote your life to God's mission and purpose, that your life will be miserable. That's Satan's greatest lie, that if you devote your life to following God, that you will be miserable. Have you ever thought that? And that's why you're always burnt out when you're serving, is because your mission and God's mission are not compatible, so you're always burning out. That's Satan's best work. He understands that if you think you give your life to God and you offer your, your mission to be compatible with God's mission, that somehow you're not going to enjoy the ride. That's Satan's greatest success. But let me tell you this. All of you are looking for God's kingdom. God's kingdom must come for you to find the flourishing and the happiness and the salvation and the satisfaction you're looking for. Do you believe that? That God's kingdom must come for you to be satisfied, amen? Without God's kingdom, with, like, when you're tricked by Satan to believe that somehow God's kingdom and your interests don't overlap, then <laughs> you're, you're living your whole life split apart, your heart divided, and, and Scripture calls that the evilness of double-mindedness. Two purposes at all times. We call that schizophrenia. Two purposes at all times. I promise you, and God promises to you, that when you live for God's kingdom, he takes care of yours. What am I paraphrasing? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. He's saying that song. <laughs> now believe it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things necessary for your life and for your faith and for your happiness upon the world is provided freely by a God who wants the best for you. Only God's kingdom brings the best for you. So, 
Can we offer our lives to God? Please, offer your lives to God. It does not contradict what you're looking for. You're seeking God's kingdom. Know it or not. Okay, uh, I know no one raised their hands, but I know internally a lot of you did. May you live for God's glory. His kingdom, amen? Amen. Final point. You pray when Jesus' name is more important than your name. Verse 30. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus, through his name, through his name and not yours. The disciples knew that God's sovereignty and his community, his promise and his mission, all four points we just talked about, was headed towards one singularity, one final culmination of all of history. What is that? The honoring and the glorification of the name of Jesus that is the final point of all history and the start of the new kingdom. It's all going there. In other words, the final climax is when all people bow to the name of Jesus Christ. All people glorify him. The one final vision that shows Christ as the centerpiece of all creation. And that's why the, pray- the prayer ends with the name of Jesus. That's why we say, in Jesus' name we pray. Because that is the final destination that we're all heading to. Why engage in prayer when, when we understand God's sovereignty or God's community or you know, God's mission? Why is it? Because it's heading to Jesus, the glorification of Jesus forever. Look at all persons of the Trinity. God the Father points to Jesus and says, this is my son and I love him very well. The Holy Spirit illuminates what? Jesus in Scripture. All the Trinity is pointing to Jesus right now so that our hearts will be illuminated with the gospel and we would head in that final direction. Jesus' name, Jesus' name is a culmination of everything we're looking for, not my name. Every day I'm afraid to be on a camera and in front of so many people. The greatest blessing that you can wish a pastor is this. May you preach the gospel and be forgotten and die. Only the gospel. All of our systems, everything we do to plan retreats and, and you know, create small groups and, and create ECs and the one church model, all these programs designed for one thing, that one name would be known. That causes you to pray. Lord, I'm, I'm going to assume, I don't know why I'm going, I'm so tired, but may your name be glorified. That's why you pray. Lord, I came to church, I'm offering my best time. You know, secular people who succeed in their co- companies or succeed at entrepreneurial business, they say that wasting Sunday is crazy. But I'm here, Lord, may your name be honored. And that causes prayer to burst out of your life when you understand the reality that Jesus' name is greater than ours. Jesus is the Lamb of God, Emmanuel, God amongst us, God with us. He is our only hope. He is the precious Redeemer, the Lion of Judah. And here's the thing. When you run out of words, synonyms, titles, nicknames for the Lord Jesus Christ, that's when your prayer runs dry. 
When you run out of things to call Jesus, that's why David's language, it was so poetic back then. It was new. It was a discovery. When he says to God, you are my redeemer, my rock, my shield, my fortress, those were not theologically prescribed words. Those were relational words that, Jesus, that, that David experienced in God. And I, I know what, you, what your prayer life is like when you only say Jesus is Christ and you don't even know what that means. Prayer comes out when you know the identity of who Jesus is. Like, who is Jesus to you? I hope you have billions of titles for him. Jesus, for me, is the one who gave me hope when I was rolling around in my basement in Canada. That's one of my titles for him, the one who gave me hope. Jesus is a sustainer of my face right now. <laughs> Sounds funny. He's a sustainer of my face. I can't talk without him sustaining my face because of my nerves. Jesus is a sustainer of my family because I'm such a bad dad that my children need Jesus. Like, who is Jesus to you right now? Do you have a practical, real-life experience that proves that Jesus is real in your life and that causes you to pray? If the name of Jesus has ever become dull to your ears, repent. That's all what we're living for. That's why we end our prayers with, in Jesus' name we pray. Because that's all that there is. It's all going there. And if you value anything similarly or beyond more than Jesus, that thing will come to ruin by design. Because all things were made to be sustained in Jesus. Once this prayer concluded, verse 31 says, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Not shaken by the fervency of their prayer, but by the realities that they were invoking. God, you are more sovereign. God, your community is better. God, your mission is better than mine. Your name is better than mine. They were invoking supernatural realities that basically shake, literally shake the foundations of all that this world is built upon. It's not how they prayed. It's why they prayed that caused this shaking. Practically speaking, last week I talked about one real issue with why I can't live according to God's power, and it's because I can't substitute it or I didn't substitute it. One practical thing, one practical mindset that I want to inform you of, of why... Uh, I'm scared to talk now. <laughs> why we usually don't pray. Why is that issue? Uh, countless clinical studies of orphan children show that one of the first and greatest impairments in their life the greatest pathologies in their life is this. They suffer from lacking communication skills. Orphans are bad at communication skills. Why is that? So babies cry because there is usually a mother nearby. And when they cry, usually they get what they need. So they, they cry to express their needs to a person who is there. But when mom is not there, they stop crying. And they've demonstrated this over and over. Children cry for their dad because they know that when their dad hears, they step in to protect them. And once you are orphaned long enough, you stop talking to authority figures because you know that you can't trust on no one. And what happens at, in your teenagers when you are adopted and you're, you're basically orphaned is that you do things out of your own strength. 
And I hope this is eerily blowing your mind away right now because this is exactly how we live. Why don't we pray? Why do we always do things first before asking God? Because in reality, many of us are still spiritual orphans. Like God is not Abba, Father to you. You can't trust him, never did, never loved him. And when he didn't meet your expectations in your way, you gave up and you started pursuing your kingdom. A lot of you are spiritual survivalists. You know how to get what you want without God. And I pray my greatest blessing to you is for that self-sufficiency to be destroyed. May you get what you need from God. May you get what you need from God's bosom. Here's the most important question. Even if we call God Abba Father, why would God listen to us? In Korean, we would say, What's so pretty about us that God would listen to us? When we cry out with all our fervent strength, like the Korean ministry does, right? we call out, Lord, 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 three times. Why would God listen instead of going, ah? like, why would he listen to us? We never pleased him. We never sought him first. We, he's always third place. Think about it. He's always third place. First Netflix, then rest, then QT, right? He's always third place. Why would he listen to us? Sinners like us, rebels like us, why would he listen? This is where the gospel kicks in. When Jesus prayed, he had God's full blessing. When Jesus prayed, his face shone with the favor of God. When Jesus prayed, he had direct, intimate access to the bosom of God, and he received all heavenly blessings because of his relationship. And what happened is this. When Jesus died upon the cross, that same spirit entered us, and now God sees you as perfect, perfect children. And when you whisper, he hears Jesus whispering. When you speak, he hears his son on the cross. When you yell in pain, he listens to you. He sees Jesus in you. You are covered by the righteousness and the blood of Jesus. He died for you to pray to him. He died that you could call out, Abba, Father. He died for you to exercise that sonship and daughtership. How can we not pray when we understand what Jesus has done for us so that we can call upon that name, the name of, of all names that changes everything in our lives and changes everything, more importantly, in me? Like, why would we not call upon that name? Jesus died so that we can call upon God as Abba, Father. Romans said it today. There's another verse that says that. I wish I memorized it. I'm sorry. Galatians 4, 6, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Appa, Father. So I want to ask you, are you orphans? Or were you adopted into the best family ever? And you have a good father now. And you can talk to him. And he listens to you and he can talk to you. Every second of our lives should be spent enjoying that. Prayer is not a chore. 
It's listening to the one who loved us and has the best plan for us, the ability to execute it, the characters who remain consistent. We talk with this God out of sheer delight. How dare you say prayer is a chore? It's a daily rhythm. Abba, Abba. You see that? Do you hear this? Do you, do, do, do you know this? Abba, help me. And he replies every single time, yes, son, yes, daughter. My resources are here for you. You have the blood of my son. I am here for you. And my final invitation. Does anyone feel that God is not listening to them? I said feel. <laughs> Does anyone, according to scripture, know that they have no foundation to cry out to God? I invite you to believe in Jesus and trust his name and to receive his spirit of adoption and to call out to God the Father as your Appa, not as a deity, not as a philosophical concept, but to call out to God as your Abba and your Father, that invitation remains open in the blood of Jesus. Would you accept? Would you accept? Prayer is a response, ultimately, to having the good Father that Jesus knew we have that Father now. And all things start from there. That's why the Lord's Prayer starts with our Father in heaven. And we conclude in Jesus' name. It's an intimate dialogue between Father and Son. Our Father in heaven, in Jesus' name. You belong between that. Quick application points for all of you. Singles, I wish you have an exciting career, a wonderful romantic relationship. However, what I desire most for you is prayer, which responds to all the riches that Christ has for you. Families, I hope that your interactions between family members are rich and diverse. May trust flow between spouses, and may parental love flow between children and parents, but may you pray together as a family. Amen. Soons, I hope your fellowship is real. I hope your food is good. I hope the conversations are rich. But my greatest encouragement to you is to pray as God's children together. One voice, one body, belonging to each other, call out to God. May every corner of our church be flooded by prayer because everyone sees God as their beautiful, good Father. Prayer team, can you come up? Case PC, God is waiting for you to talk to him. Aren't you excited to talk to him? Will you talk to him this week? Yes? Oh, man. <laughs> I was up here for, what, 40 minutes? <laughs> Will you talk to him this week? Amen. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to talk to him. He's been waiting. Let's respond in worship.